Unfortunately for Cam, it's been a while since his last appointment. But good news, the dentist will see you now. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. I don't even I don't even know how to respond to that to open the show, to be honest with you. <laughs> That's the point. So so Cam, are the teeth all in one place? All good? Uh barely. Good, good. No, no root canals this time. Good to know. Hey, no, gang. No, well, no as, as, at least Miggy didn't fuck up my wisdom teeth removal like my actual dentist did. We've got to get Miggy on this. We'll call Miggy up for some private dental care. We'll fix you right up. Welcome to episode 402 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Trey Harrison. And welcome to the second edition of the rebooted Bike Live. I know it's fun and it's cozy in here because joining me, it's just a two-person booth. You know, we, we, we're sharing. We, it's cozy. We're sharing the same room again. It's me and Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. Hello, everyone. Uh, we speak to you from the Motorsport One Hundred and One Shed. <laughs> we are back in the shed, as as you do. We are we we are we are making the most of, of a tight budget. We unfortunately we blew all of our budget on episode four hundred. Um, after much hardship, war, and budgetary constraints, episode 400, the Valentino Rossi retrospective. Mm. Indeed. We thought, well, because it's bike season, we thought it would be a good time to re-release a classic that never actually saw the light of day. Fun fact, that was originally meant to be episode 334. Instead, it's 400. You know, what's 66 races between friends? Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, we, we fixed it up and we put it out there and we, we, I was very proud of it. So thanks to everybody who listened to it and enjoyed it. I know I know I certainly did putting it together. Um, it's, <clears throat> it's 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 a it's a true gem. I did really, really enjoy sitting through it and some of the little even going back through it a second and a third time for editing purposes. There's a lot of gems in that conversation that I forgot we actually had until listening it back it's a really really fun time um so do check it out if you haven't already thanks to everyone who's listened in much much appreciated and hope you stick around because uh we have the thailand grand prix to talk about the moto gp and this was a race that very nearly didn't happen um <laughs> this was wild um we had a hell of a lot of rain um in the thai area um on the brink, I reckon, of it was, you know, we would we wouldn't have gotten a race at all. If we'd gone an hour later, we probably wouldn't have gotten a full race in because we were only about an hour away from the end of the race from it being sunset in Thailand. And Buriram doesn't have lights. So we just we like MotoGP timed the window perfectly in that because I remember watching on BT Sport, like two minutes after the race was over, it pissed it down like thunderstorm level wet. So we got very lucky on this one, but we did get a full race in. And well, if there was any doubts beforehand as to who MotoGP's Rainmeister is, it is most certainly Miguel Oliveira, who took his second race win of the season on that blasted KTM. I don't know how he keeps doing this, but he finds a way. He really does. Somewhere Ryan Eric King is helicoptering violently. <laughs> Until he until he stops and realizes, wait, you're letting him go? <laughs> For who? Oh, the man who finished in second, Jack Miller, who is actually putting together his best run as a MotoGP rider so far. Um, it's, it's a weird one. Also, remember the last time we had a wet race, Cam? Do you remember when Francesco Bagnaia finished 15th? <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, far removed from those days. Third on the day. Crazy stuff. Well, um, well, so wait, we talk- he didn't win? He didn't have that getting away from the cop speed? No, he was actually quite fuming on this one, but he had a solid third place and picked up some good championship points. Can't say fur- so can't say further than that. Peko Peko Benyaya taking the points. Huh? No. What? No. He's, he's learning. Surely everybody not. He's, he's learning. Everybody look out. This might be a problem. Um <clears throat> we'll be talking all about that at the front of the field and the race itself. We'll be talking about yet another title implications flashpoint because this was another topsy-turvy weekend. Fabio Quadraro crossed the finish line. He did not score points. No, that actually happened. Um, We'll get into all of that as well. And unfortunately, we have yet more paddock shenanigans in the worst way possible. We'll get into that as well because it is very effed up how we got to this point. Um, And it needs further discussion. You've probably seen the video already if you're a MotoGP fan. And we'll talk more about that later on in the show. Um, But... We'll get into the Thailand Grand Prix right after we tell you where you can find this. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter and Motorsport underscore 101. If you follow our personal handles, you can at Harrison101HD and at Buckley 917 We're on Instagram. If you want all our content updates there at Motorsport 101 Pod. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of these episodes live as they're being recorded. 10 gets you into the supporters club of our Discord server. You can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, which Jason is doing right now. Hello, Jason. Good to see you. Hope you enjoy the show. But uh, without further ado, let's get into it and let's get into MotoGP's Grand Prix of Thailand. Cam, good news. Yeah? We have a new Rainmeister. How the heck are they letting this guy go at the end of the year? I I, I don't understand how, how, how he got to this point, but we have a new Rainmeister, and it wasn't for the return into Nino Petrucci, who came back this weekend. Good to see you, Petrux. I, I, I hope the kids and the wife are all right. Uh, he had a cool cup of coffee and a 20th place finished, as you do. But um, it was for Miguel Oliveira, who... Well, he's now two for two on wet races this season. It was a pretty tight tactical race with Jack Miller. Miller was he and Miller were the two fastest guys in the wet conditions pretty much all the way through. Um, Miller led the first half of the race. Miguel Oliveira <coughs> got him in to start the second half of the race, and Miller dropped off, came back, gave it one last assault, couldn't find a way around Miggy. Miggy wins his second race of the year, his fifth race in MotoGP. Um, we'll get into a little bit of some of the stats behind that in a minute. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a close run finish between the top five, all pretty much line of stern going over the line. Jack Miller would finish second. Francesco Bagnaia third, which I think is the best he's ever done in a wet race, certainly. Uh, by a mile and a stretch, I do believe. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, Johan Zarco, who at one point was the fastest man on track, um, but you know, either one did his tires in at the end, two um, decided, I can't win this race, so I'm not going to attack Banyaya. Three was told not to attack Banyaya, or four, all of the above. Um, <laughs> so you be the judge at home on that one if you've watched that race, because Zarka was the fastest man on track, got past Marquez, got up to Banyaya, and 
didn't held, attack him. Held station. Mm. You be the judge at home on that one, is what I would say. And yeah, Mark Marquez was in that leading group as well, uh, in fifth place. Still here. Still here. Still in the league. And hell, Mark, after the um, race said on Twitter, it was the best weekend he's had in MotoGP for three years, he reckons. Um, just feels great about the bike, great about his body. I mean, we saw over the course of the weekend, he was picking the bike back up with his bad arm. Yeah, he, he was... He looked like the Mark of old is basically mm. the best way to put it. I mean, uh, but w- without this devolving too much into another Mark love fest, because we <laughs> do have to talk about the man who actually took the trophy Indeed. home with himself. But yeah, Mark looked great pretty much all weekend was probably it was a last corner near crash and save away from a probable front row start. Mm. Still, uh, and was still the second highest of the non ducks in qualifying behind uh, behind Fabio, who again doing the Lord's work to try and get that bike, you know, into the top five on pace and qualifying because it's just a sea of red right now. Indeed, but instead of the sea of red, we got to talk about the splash of orange at the top. Oh yeah, Miguel, how Miguel- the hell? <laughs> Miguel Oliveira is such a conundrum of a rider because. He will go three or four races being completely anonymous on a completely anonymous bike, you know, being generally outperformed by Brad Bender. And that's no insult because Brad Bender is, you know, for what he's doing on that bike, he is one of the best riders in the sport right now on form. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think you'd get anyone who would disagree with that. Nope, not me. And then there's just these random races where Miguel Oliveira will show up and he will beat the field, beat the field into the dirt. I don't get it. <laughs> his upside is as good as anyone's in MotoGPs. And I've been saying this since he was a Moto3 rider. And this was back in, I think, 2014, 2015, I was saying this about Miguel Oliveira. Yep. That like, I, when I was watching him when he was riding for Red Bull KTM's IO branch in Moto3, I was like, there is something about this kid. Like, the way he was able to dictate those really heavy-duty Moto3 pack races where he was always at the front, always in the right place at the right time, and almost always won. I was like, there is something special about this kid. Like, there is something about him that I think he could win at the top flight. And I don't normally say that about Moto3 riders. And he's climbed the ranks to the point where he's now won five MotoGP races. (laughs) He's one of only two men in the field that have won five races in all three classes, the other one being Mark Marquez. <laughs> I Decent looked company. For, I, looked at, I looked at the field. There was a f- bunch of fours in there, but he's the only man to have won five races in all three classes. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredibly strange, but it works for him. It's, I don't know if, how he does he it. Could, if he could do this more often, I mean, what would we think about his, about his demotion? Well, we'll see if it's a demotion, given that he's going to an Aprilia next year, because that, other than Aprilia's operational issues, the bike is very sound in that camp right now. Mm. Um, and, and the guy they're replacing him for is pretty much much of the same story with Jack Miller. Um, because as much as we were praising Miller in Japan for, you know, right, rightfully so, for just flattening everyone mm. pretty much from practice onwards. In this race, the classic Miller bug showed up. He plenty of speed, but just cooked his front tire. 
Yeah. And when a wet race happens in MotoGP, it mitigates the one weakness that KTM has, which is that mid-corner speed. They 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 struggle with that in dry conditions. They lose a lot of speed through the middle of the corner, and that's where they lose a lot of their lap time. That's not a problem in the wet. It mitigates no. that weakness that KTM has as a motorcycle. And then when you get the right setup, and the right guy who has the confidence in the in the wet. We all know the wet is a great equalizer in this sport. Miguel Rivera just finds a way. He's so smooth and he's so fast. And you know he had to. Yet again, this was not a walkover by any stretch. Like Jack Miller is very good in wet conditions. He always has been. He's fearless. That boy. He, 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 I'd argue those are his best conditions are in the pouring yeah. rain. Yeah, he's he's an outstanding with a rider. He's one of the best in the world at it. He won his first MotoGP race from 20th on the grid doing exactly that. Um Miller's one of the very best um in low grip, low, you know, low low tarmac conditions. He's very, very good at that. And Miggy just he, he could not be passed once he got to the front. Now, don't get me wrong, a lot of that is still the same problem we've talked about with MotoGP and well, the fact that it's its tires are just, you know, not working with the way these bikes are with the shapeshifters and the wings, you know, we, we, we had kind of an at length discussion before we started recording that these bikes have gained since 2019 when really this shapeshifter and, you know, really the aero war went completely nuclear. These mm. bikes have gained around some of these tracks, two to three seconds a lap on more or less the same construction and compound of tire. They actually brought back for this weekend yeah. that 2020 Austria tire that was wreaking all kinds of havoc depending on which bike you were riding. Um, mm-hmm. Really badly crippled Aprilia this weekend. Yeah, like Aprilia was complaining massively about this. Alicia Spagro was not happy about having to race on the 2020 carcass. And it, yeah, it really seemed to take away a lot of Aprilia's corner speed because there was no grip on the rears. Um, and it, it adds up. It compares to what we talked about with Mandalika earlier this year when Alicia had to, let's not forget, jam his rear brake up to the point where it basically didn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, remember what that tire did in the Honda camp because, I mean, Mark got launched into low Earth orbit, like, what, three times that weekend? Something one like that, which, yeah. One of which finally giving him a, a major concussion again, triggered yeah. the double vision again. Um, So these uh, the tires are just far beyond their operating window. They're not meant to cope with the loads that this new generation of MotoGP chassis and aerodynamics puts on them. Right, and... Yeah, we, we still have to deal with that because once again, once bikes, like it was very hard to overtake. Bikes were struggling and you could see riders had to take enormous amounts of risk to be able to overtake. We saw Marquez try it on Manyaya a couple of times and, you know, man ran really, really wide at the final corner as a direct result of it. Um, there was just no, you can't do it. It's just you get sucked into the vacuum of the of the rear of the bike behind you as well when you're braking. So even like hard slipstream and dive bombs don't really work all that well either. So it's it's a very tricky situation that there is no straightforward answer for um, until the sport wants to. Well, there there is a straightforward just, answer. Well, there just is. I'm not allowed to do it. Yeah. Ducati will hold out until they absolutely have to. There were, the only argument we had was that the Aragon crash we had earlier this season 
Um, this is what David Emmett put out there saying, well, hey, they could maybe get them banned on safety grounds if they're causing bikes to have spectacular accidents like the one we saw an hour ago with Marquez and, and Nakagami when he had a piece of Quadraro's fare in, in his shapeshifter device. Not ideal, to say the least. But um, And then uh, another one on that front, get well soon, tack up more surgery on that hand. Thankfully, oof. sounds like it went pretty well, but... The, the injuries to his hand from that crash were more severe than originally thought. Yeah, geez. Um, I think the words we used when we talked about Japan was pool of blood in the glove. Um, the guy, Taka couldn't get his glove on, such was the pain, but it was cleared fit for uh, fit for duty, because of course he was. This sport is funny, and I don't mean that in a good way. Um if you know if you saw it, Cam, but there was a grim thread by Matt Oxley on Twitter earlier this week when previous older riders were talking about um you know nasty finger injuries that are that are now damaged permanently because of what they've had to go through. Um and obviously yeah. trying to ride with damaged tendons and what that can do. It's uh Oh not- but like well well to, to kind of talk about that actually from personal experience that my dad has been down on a bike and his one of his hands the fingers don't quite close all the way because of that oh shit yeah, yeah. i mean i've i've come off a motorcycle before it's not fun mm-hmm. um and so it's it's absolutely better for Taka to get that fixed now rather than later yeah you don't want to have permanent damage on your hands and yeah it's uh not ideal but uh yeah hopefully he'll be back for philip island next weekend we do have a week off in between this this very busy flyaway season now so hopefully it'll give the time for taka to rest up and hit up philip island or as i like to call it god's racetrack but well, um, g- given his uh given the person filling in for him uh nagashima's actually done a pretty decent job mm, he has Rule number one, don't crash. That always, you're, you're a test. Pretty primate. much. You did a test. And if you don't crash, you're doing fine. And yeah, given it was horrible conditions this weekend, um, good job, uh, to say the least. Because like I said, if this race happened half an hour later, we wouldn't oh, have boy. a race. <laughs> no. No, I mean, there, there's some pictures from the, uh, from the actual race conditions where it's very poor visibility. Yeah, we didn't even talk about it too much before we get into the, the title picture. Um, the Moto Two race was called off after nine laps. Um, uh, I'm pour one out for this man. Some Kiat Chantra who was leading that race, a home race from pole position. It would have been the stuff of dreams um, for you know to have a tie race winner at home. Binned it just as the rain was getting so heavy and so hard to see because of the spray that was coming off these bikes that he ended up high siding it into oblivion about two minutes before the red flag came out. It was it was horrible, um, horrible luck. A real shame because Chantra had, had a perfect weekend up to that point. But uh, for those who, who maybe don't follow the, the uh, junior classes quite as much, Tony Arbolino did win that race, but unfortunately he only got half points for it because we didn't get to two-thirds race distance. Um, the race was called after nine laps. They tried a restart. They had the formation lap. They, they were like, nope, we can't see shit. It's too wet. Pulled, pulled everybody back in. This race will not be restarted. Tony, Ar- uh, Tony Arbolino wins. He got the win, and uh, unfortunately, he only gets 12 and a half points for it, which is a bit of a bummer, but 
nah, it, it happens in motorsport sometimes. Um, shout out to Philip Salat, who decided to celebrate by rolling around in the mud. Literally. Um, I, pr- I praise him for his uh, temerity <laughs> on, on, on that one. But uh, yeah, only half a point came out of... Uh, Ayagura's title lead is a result of that. So it's a one and a half point gap, which is really weird to say now in, in the fight for the Moto2 title, which is uh, interesting to say the least. Um, but Cam, let's talk about the title picture. Yeah, uh, this title picture. Uh, and I mean, does anyone actually want to win this? Because I feel like if these guys keep screwing around, none of the top three title protagonists are going to end up with it. <laughs> this is a strange one. Now, Fabio Quattararo was basically screaming at anyone prepared to listen. I don't want to race in these conditions. It's too dangerous. Um, apparently, Alicia Spagaro was telling him who's well, obviously, you know, Fabio's best mate. Go tell Loris then. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's, he thought it was okay, but apparently there was, it was a genuine mixed bag about people that wanted to race and people who didn't want to race. It was apparently very split down the middle, but they went ahead. They raced it. They raced it anyway. Fabio Cotterara, I think got spooked on the opening lap by Alex Marquez, nearly hitting him on the opening lap. He dropped down to 17th place on the opening two laps and never really looked back. Unfortunately, in a bad way in that he was stuck. Never recovered. Yeah. He was stuck there the whole way through. Couldn't get back up to to, to the front of the field. And yeah, that was it. Fabio Cotteraro crossed the line in 17th place. No points at all. His other title rival, we, talk, we talked about Banyaya finishing third. Alicia Spargaro, who was in the midfield for most of the race, got back up into the top 10, and then um, got hit with a long lap penalty for riding into the side of Brad Binder. Not incorrectly, I might add, because no. I was... That was uh, that was some racing public lobby shit. Yeah, that was out of line. He pretty much drove right into Binder's side pod. Binder was lucky not to have a mangled leg as a result of that impact. Um, I have no complaints from the stewards here on this one. Nothing. This was- is the first time we have had. There has been a stewarding decision in mm-hmm. MotoGP, and everyone's just like, "Yep, sure." Yep. Yep. <laughs> No, not even uh, the leash complained about it. It was like, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I can't really argue with that one. And yeah, it, it was it was a fair penalty. He took his long lap. He would eventually finish in eleventh. So hey, it's still three points. Well, four technically, if you want to be if you want to be specific about this. Well, five actually, if my maths is right there. But unfortunately, he didn't take full advantage of the situation because, as mentioned, Prekobaniya was third, and that leaves the championship in a very strange position. Because Fabio's buffer is now gone. It is a two-point gap at the top of the championship now between Quadraro and Banyaya. It was they, 91 points leaving Austria. It was 91 points seven races ago. And there was a race in there where Fabio actually gained ground because of what happened in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so on that, Yeah, on that, yeah. Peko's, Peko's complete botching of the Japanese Grand Prix basically amounts to a nothing burger. Yeah, they, it got wiped out and then some. Um, seven rounds ago, it was a 91-point difference between those two. It's now two. He, uh, so Banyai has almost taken 14 points per round out of Quadraro in the last seven races. It's 
It's punishing. It's been bombardment from Bandiaia ever since Germany. And that's with a DNF chucked in there. So that says it all about how much Bandiaia has reeled him in. But it's now really a five-way fight because Alicia Spagro is still here <laughs> at minus 20 within a race, um, still just hanging around here. And Aya Bastianini, the gap's come down in the last couple of rounds. It's now only 39 off the top. And now, with his first and second, Jack Miller is, is now only 40 points off the top. Over the hills in the distance. It's the jackass theme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because of the just the complete collapse of Yamaha and the really Ducati got their tire wear somewhat under control after Austria. And it's Fabio has not looked like winning a race since then, even when he has decent enough race pace, can't mm. qualify the bike high enough up the grid in order to take advantage of it. Because you're, always, yeah. you're not, you're not passing anyone on that bike, especially given the current state of the regs with uh, the arrow and the shapeshifter devices. Yamaha was struggling to pass people even before that was happening, given the fundamental problems of their bike. Now it's even worse. It's been exacerbated by the current set of regulations. And yeah, it's it's not ideal for Fabs at all. I mean, I said Austria is about the only race he's even had a shot of winning since Germany, the last time he won a race. And that was long before the summer break. It feels like it was a decade ago. It, fe it feels like watching the second half of the season, you wonder how Fabio's maintained the gap. And it's really, it, it was that 20 points that he gained in Austria, just, and it's just been chipped away ever since. Yeah. And, and it's to be fair, Jason even put, gives us a good counterpoint in the chat. Counterpoint uh, Oliveira started 11th and one. Well, yeah, I can't really argue with that, unfortunately. Um, yeah. It's, you look at this title picture now. And the thing is, is that, there are, I, I said it during my written blog, which you could read on, on the website where I talked about this. I said, look, this now might be a game of who fucks up the least between oh, now and the end of the season. Like, no one is, has taken, the, like, Bang Yaya has got the most compelling case here, but we expected Bang Yaya to be this good. He was the championship favorite with the bookies going into the season. But Dre, here's the problem with, ba with three of these contenders here. They're on Ducatis. Mm-hmm. Death, taxes, Ducati touched the, touch the front. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all they're all three, all one crash away. And given the current spread of the season, Peko is due one at least one more crash. Yeah. Um Pe Peko has four of these of his own volition this season. Yeah. Over the course of the year. So I like, even with Banyaya at minus two, I sit there and I go. Can you guarantee he's not going to crash that crash that bike one more time between now and the end of the year? Because that might be all it needs. It might be one case of one more DNF, and if Fabio finds a way to get on the podium, that might be enough. Yeah, that that, that it would be enough. And there's there's tracks where I mean, either Bangaya could crash or Fabio could end up out of the points because Fabio just he's he's just not that great in the rain. No. It's been a, a consistent thing. If we get one more wet race, either of these guys could lay an egg. To, to say nothing of Alicia Spargo, who just... What could have been these last two weekends? 
because he's left so many points on the table. So many. I mean, that the the scoring pylon screw up, mm. the engine mapping left on the bike, and then just riding like an idiot on Sunday. Frankly, yeah, and that's the whole gap. Yeah, that and the Silverstone ankle injury, which was a crash of his own volition. Even even scratching that, that's the whole gap here. He's twenty points back. That's easily mitigated by even a second place last week. Yeah. It's it, if a leash is roughly this sort of background back by the time this year's all said and done, we could say that a leash was never more than maybe 30 points off the championship lead. They're going to be sitting there ruining the fact that they could have had this between them and Aprilia combined with the amount of, you know, unforced errors that they have had. It's like watching Serena Williams play tennis, like unforced it's errors. Like watching everywhere. Ferrari do Formula One. Yeah, just you look at them and you just go, you could have won this. Like Fabio Quattararo is probably going to win the biggest MotoGP season ever. With If he does win the title, it's going to be probably with under 300. In fact, it will be with under 300 points. No, 300 points because Fabio, Fabio has not been at the level that he was the previous year in no. 2021. He's been up and down this year, but so has everyone around him. And Ducati just took too long to get their shit together regarding this year's not quite a GP 22. Yeah. And then just Pecco leaving a bunch of points on the table. Alation Aprilia mm. have left, to my estimation, at least a good 35, 40 points on the table. Agreed. Um, and then Bastianini, who's basically a, a, a baby Banyaya in the sense that on his upside, on his, on his best days, he can win. Mm-hmm. In dominant form, on his worst days, he's anonymous. I think he's had half a dozen races this season. Race finished between eighth and eleventh. If the yeah. GP twenty one is not dialed in, and Aya Bastianini will not crack the top six. That's just and, how and it's been fl- all year. And your floor just can't be that low. No, he's done it too many times this year. He's crashed a few times here and there. Silly, like yeah, it's like everything about Banyaya, but but nerfed to a degree. He's not quite as big a winner. Although he's has four of his own, which is obviously great in its own right. He's got four wins, but he's, he doesn't DNF it quite as much as Banyaya does. But also the floor is a little bit higher, but not by enough to make a difference. It's eighth and ninths and tenths and elevenths. It's that sort of ballpark when he's not performing well. And it's a similar case with Jack Miller, where a Miller, with Miller, he's a, again, the floor is a little bit higher, but he can't win as much. He has, he has one win on the year. These last, if these last two weekends were what Miller was doing all the way through the year, he'd be a dominant champion. And we can say that about all five of these guys. Yeah, they all have significant weaknesses, and it's going to be whoever mitigates them the most that is probably going to win this championship, and that is going to be a problem. Like Miller's only really in this fight because he's had forty-five points the last two races. Like the second, obviously, this weekend, um, this past weekend in Thailand, and then the win in Japan, which goes to show you he can do it. He's got the ability to be able to do this. But again, might have left it far too late. And again, another guy that's made silly mistakes across the year, silly crashes that weren't necessary. Like Masano, he was leading that race when he crashed. <laughs> you know, how, value, how valuable would those points be now? They would have been priceless. 
he'd have been within 15 points. Like that, it's, it's Miller again. There's going to be three or four people that are going to be looking back on this season with deep tinged regret because of where Fabio is right now, where he, he's vulnerable as fuck right now in this title race. And everybody else has left so much on the table. Fabio still has an outside chance of getting away with it. The problem is now he's got very little margin for error between now and the end of the season because Banyaya is right there on two. But even then, Banyaya might tip it again. <laughs> all, all it's going to take from any either of the top two, if either of them crash, I can't see them getting back. No. I can't see them getting back into the title contention because Banyaya is either going to get on the podium or crash, and Fabio is either going to reel off podiums or top fives to the end of the year or be anonymous outside the points. And we don't know how it's going to look until we go into the race itself. Yeah. And in all of this, Mark Marquez is just here vibing basically top five, four or five every week now. Mm. Oh God, where do we even start on this one? Like we, we are sitting here. We genuinely don't know who's going to win this championship. It's fascinating, but for the worst possible reasons, because they've all just made such like this is not going to be the highest quality of champion, no matter which way you look at it. And if Fabio bottles this one too, we're going to be looking at him saying, "You know what? You're a, you're a world champion, but you could have had three by now." Oh, easily. And we're looking at Fabio like, dude, you could have had a Marquez-like career to start your career off when you got here at age 20, and you've left maybe two world titles on the table. Well, and, and in all of this, referring to, the, referring to that man, they're all on borrowed time right now because Mark with like 1.3 arms now is reeling off top fives for fun. Yeah. And he's feeling good about it. He's only going to get better. On an atrocious motorcycle. Yeah. This, it's, it's, he's going to be spoiler here for at least one of these men. At least one. Um, yeah, if he continues on the trajectory that he's on right now, I, he could pull a win. Maybe at Phillip Island, given it tends to be a bike equalizer. It's, you know, it's one of our favorite rounds on the calendar for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. If he's feeling up to it, you know, that's that's a couple of points that he's going to take off of all of these guys if he can. Right. Right. Marquez could play spoiler like 2015 all over again. It's going to be fascinating to watch. Please, this no game. kicks. Please, no kicks. Please, God help us all. Right. Now, that's pretty much all we've got to say about Thailand. Now, this is a content warning. We are probably going to discuss some things in the last segment of this show that you may find upsetting. If you want to stop listening now, that's completely fine. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time for Philip Island. This may You may find this upsetting, so look after yourself and be careful going forward. If you have any tune out now, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Right, now, that's your warning, but... Um, Unfortunately, one of the more unsavory stories that came out of Thailand this past weekend was a video that went live on a Twitter thread um, with some journos in it, which never goes down well. And it was a video from 2019. Um, and in it was a video of former Moto Free rider Tom Famous being, for lack of a better term, assaulted by his crew chief 
after a bad session in the back of his garage. This is back when the CIP team was a thing. They're now the Max Racing team. You now know them as. Remember that name. It becomes important later. Um, and yeah, it's it went viral. A lot of the journos in, in the sport brought it to Dorna's attention. Um, Dorna have since investigated what has happened, and they've also found out that the, that the crew chief is still working for the Max Racing team right now. And it was announced literally today as we're recording this that he will be sacked from his post, dot, 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 unfortunately, after Phillip Island because of Dorna, I believe, have had some mitigation regarding, you know, the Max Racing team are already down on staff going into this weekend. Um, and, you know, they, they, they want to give the team a chance to find a replacement, basically. Um, let's talk about this because this is obviously something that went, mm. th- there was, there was a huge story. Um, and I think I, I, I start off by saying completely off the top, this is completely unacceptable. <laughs> I don't think that's especially controversial. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's there words had between the two and, uh, the writer starts walking away and then just basically gets sucker punched. Yeah. An attack from behind by his mechanic. Mm-hmm. Just, it's nasty. And, like, it, it's doubly upsetting for many, many reasons for me. And I, I gave this a serious thought, um, you know, that yeah, about all of this. And I go, Tom Famous was 23 when this happened. And... He's a young man, and he's he's been assaulted by a member of his own team. The Tom released a statement about said incident um, as well. That, that got, as I think it's worth me reading this out because it went viral and it got responded to very very quickly. And, and it was quote: "The video that's appeared is from the 2019 Tiger Grand Prix. There was a lot of issues with the team that year that was never spoken about, and I just tr- kept quiet." just to try and keep my ride for the 2020 season as it was my dream to stay in that paddock. This happened after the race when my bike broke down due to a mechanics error. I was asked to not say anything and to keep quiet. I never told anyone, including Dorna and my management at the time. That's just one thing that happened that year. People don't know what goes on behind the TV screen. Interestingly enough, um... The first mm. person to reply was Jonathan Ray, who said, quote, no one should ever have to sit on that kind of behavior. Makes me so mad watching this, especially as the team just turned the page. He's not wrong. Um, no, I mean, uh, to, to reiterate to listeners, this incident happened in 2019 mm. and was pretty much swept under the rug entirely until it resurfaced just this past week. Somebody sat on this video for three years. That's what terrifies me about this. Somebody sat on this video footage of a rider being attacked by his crew chief, and nobody said a damn thing until until it was put in a Twitter thread, picked up by journos as a joke. I say that, and that as well. It was more or less treated with insignificance initially, treated as a joke. Yeah. And then the writers started talking about it. I mean, Alicia Spargo especially talked at length about it, was mortified 
Yeah, he was disgusted at what he at what he'd seen. Alicia was absolutely livid, um, and we all know it takes a lot to piss off Alicia. And yeah, like the riders apparently were all talking about this and talking about how disgraceful it was. They wanted the sport to act. They have at least for now, and yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I'm glad that Dorna are at least you know of. of forced max racing team's hand to sack the person unfortunately i don't like the fact that it's not going to be until after another round because now the sport knows there's there is a known abuser amongst its paddock then we're gonna act like nothing's happening next week when we go to philip island and then and the, the, the dawner has pardon me has given the team a chance to replace said member of staff because let's not forget Max Racing Team also sacked the two mechanics who blocked Adrian Fernandez's bike in Moto3 in Aragon, the other viral incident we've had for MotoGP in the last month. But it's both both on the same team. What a uh well what a what a thrilling combination of people they've got there. Yeah. Three members of staff are gonna lose their jobs in the space of a month over horrific conduct on track it's it makes me sit here and it makes me fearful of what else gets swept under the rug because if somebody sat on the video of a rider being assaulted by his own crew chief and that was kept under wraps for three years what else don't we know about yeah and I mentioned it in my Motorsport 101 piece as well, and a salute to Tali, who is a good friend of mine, who who you know reached out to me beforehand saying, "Dre, you might want to put this out there." And I was like, "No, let me use my platform because I want people to know about this." Um, there was a mechanic who was in her Twitter DMs. I think it was her Instagram DMs, technically speaking, who talked about the possibility of her of her bringing her friend along for the for the Australian Grand Prix getting her drunk and then having sex with her that person's still a mechanic in the Moto2 paddock right now i have verifiable proof about this that i obviously can't say on the podcast but take my word for it on this one they're in the Moto2 paddock right now um Again, it's disgusting and completely unacceptable. And that person still has a job. That person is in the paddock right now. Like, we need to be taking a look at the entire culture of bike racing here. Because it irks me that a bunch of people would have probably seen what's happened in the last week and probably just not take it all that seriously. I've seen Matt Oxley talk about it for you know years and how he said about some of the things he's seen in the back of a paddock that he didn't see he expressed regret about not speaking out about it more at the time using the platform that he had i know simon patterson talked about what happened at the british grand prix where people in that paddock were were being vile and shouting out racist abuse about about one of their Moto Free Riders, and I think it was Josh Wheatley, who, again, this wasn't picked up on. And 
it's incredibly frustrating because these stories about the sport keep coming up. We've been talking about this now for the last two months, Karen, and it just it just keeps on coming. So eventually, people aren't able to hold the flood back any longer. And to your point, that if we're finding out about these things now, a how many do we not know about, and how long have they been going on for? And people Probably just. Years. Oh, oh, of course, decades. Mm. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's sections of every culture that have that. Only it's, it's like Dorna is just hands off about it. They, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to see anything about it. Mm. It's, it's, it's annoying and. Like I still remember, my I saw Matt tweet Simon Patterson about it, having a conversation about it, where he said, "And I quote: Now, what do we do about all the dads who beat their children in the back trying to get into the MotoGP paddock?" I don't think he was joking. No, no, because I mean, for uh, the two of us have been following Matt's work for years now. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't joke about something like that. Not not in a million years. And he's had to he's he's been he's had to be very brave recently talking about a lot of social issues and Ducati's terrible PR in the I last he's couple been of blacklisted months. by the Ducati yeah. factory. He's been blackboard by Ducati for, for press availability now because of what he said about Francesco Bagnaia um, having a Dennis Robin tribute helmet and the fact he spoke about the tire pressure situation. He was the first person to break the story in Jerez about how Banyaya won on an illegal bike, essentially having illegally low tire pressures. Um, and then when the story broke, his main source of the tire pressure sheet backed out of it. And then Ducati basically blackballed him. Mm-hmm. This is what we're dealing with now, folks. This is our sport. It's chilling, and I don't mean that in no good way. It's 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 awful that these stories keep coming up, and like, what's it going to take for, for us to have to write for the? I, I get it. MotoGP is niche compared to Formula One. It has a tenth of the audience that Formula One has, and has a tenth of the buzz right now compared to Formula One, which is going for a bit of a mini boom period right now. Like we've had a lot more social media and social issue based conversations about Formula One and how it's handling itself in the last couple of years. Why has that not happened in MotoGP? We have enough issues trying to get F1 to act. I mean, but at least it feels like they are. It feels like there is some movement there. Yeah, it feels like they're at least trying or at least, you know, making some kind of effort. I mean, with with the MotoGP side of things, it's just feel we're we're pulling on the rope, and there's no resistance here. Yeah, it, it feels like we're screaming at the wall, and it it may take a a major scandal before we start having those conversations. And it's sad. We've had we've had accusations of racism. We've had violence in the paddock. We've had media being blackballed. <laughs> all had in those the- running the sport explode in a press conference about the mere mention of a rider union yeah and we and all of that going on in the last two months with the controversy of sprint races 
the announcement that they're going to race in Saudi Arabia and now Kazakhstan as well. Huh. What are we doing here? Like, does anyone in this sport give a shit about how they look to the outside world? Not when they can make money off of it. It's incredibly frustrating because you, you are listening to two of the biggest bike fans we know and we love bike racing we love bikes in general and we love talking about it like trust me when i say we don't want to talk about this any more than anybody else does i'd love to sit here and tell you about how great moto gp is like we've just had a two hour 20 minute long special about its greatest rider and we loved making it but we also don't want to use this platform and and turn a blind eye to some of the horrible bullshit and defending of awful men that are in this paddock. It's incredibly frustrating. And I and I wish the sport woke up a little bit more and did better. The fact that this guy is going to get a delayed sacking, he's going to roll around Philip Island as if nothing's happened for a week before he goes... Uh, let me, let me goes ask you something. Nonsense. Don't, let me don't ask. If, if one of us, given the positions we're in in our respective you know careers, mm. one of us assaulted a co-worker... How long do we keep our job? You, you're going home for the day looking for a new fucking job. Exactly. That, this that, happened quite literally in broad daylight mm-hmm. on camera. Yep. And it was kept under wraps for, wraps for three years. Yep. And it did come out, and we know effectively who did it, who was assaulted. Mm-hmm. Delayed sacking. Yeah. I don't get, get it, he, man. He, he gets one more check before he has to leave the paddock. It's, it's 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 embarrassing. It's embarrassing, and the sport needs to do better before something really horrible happens. And it's going to be a lot like what happened with Vince McMahon and the WWE, where the Wall Street Journal took a look at what was going on, and then within two articles, Vince had stepped down via the medium of Twitter. That's how quick it turned around. And the sport is one major scandal away from that happening. And as a bike writer, as a bike fan who knows we're in a situation where we are not F1 and we're nowhere near to F1 and MotoGP often wishes it was F1 with the amount of attention that it got, more people need to be beating the door down about what is going on with this sport because morally speaking, it's in the gutter right now and it needs to do better, massively better. I don't, I don't even want to do a, a standard outro on this one because I, 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 it, it pisses me off that much. But, like, please, MotoGP, you've got a unique opportunity to set a standard of, of the most basic codes of behavior in your paddock. And it's taken severe pressure from the media to even get to this point. More has to be done. More has to be done. And... Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating that we're having to deal with another moral issue within the sport that shouldn't be an issue at all. But here we are. MotoGP's back at Phillip Island in a week and a half's time. I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Cam Buckley. Good night.